Welcome to New Life Baptist Preaching, where we grow in relationships, we grow in discipleship, and grow in Jesus Christ. This series will be looking at the Shema passage that was repeated daily for the Jews in Deuteronomy 6, 4-10. We hope that you subscribe so that you can grow in your worship and obedience of God through our Lord Jesus Christ. spend our time in Deuteronomy 6 verse 7. This passage has everything to do with parenting and discipleship and we certainly want to address these um, but we'll address parenting and discipleship next week. If you'll humor me this week um, we need to address the word diligently. I'm going to spend most of my time on more or less that word. Um, the task of discipleship in our home and among God's people requires work. Um, it's something that's not addressed often enough. Um, it, it is true that we don't work unto salvation. Christ has done that for us, and yet there is work involved. And that's what we're going to talk about. This text provides us the opportunity to discuss that. We're not going to be able to cover it in full, but we can view the biblical concept of work uh, as it pertains to our study, even uh, for next week. Uh, we're going to need this understanding of what it means to work. So I'm just going to read through the whole Shema, which is that passage recited by Israel daily. It's Deuteronomy 6, verses 4 through 10. I welcome you to stand as we honor the reading of God's Word together. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord. Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thine heart, with all thy soul, with all thy might. And these words which I command thee this day shall be in thy heart, and thou shalt teach them diligently unto thy children, and shalt talk of them when thou sittest in thine house, when thou walkest by the way, and when thou liest down, and when thou risest up. And thou shalt bind them for a sign upon thine hand, and they shall be as frontlets between thine eyes, and they shall write them upon the post of thy house and on thy gates. And it shall be when the Lord thy God shall have brought thee into the land which he sware unto thy fathers, to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob, to give thee great and goodly cities which thou buildest not. Father, we come to you and we think this morning about all that this passage holds for us. God, we hear, we hear that we're granted rest. And at the same time, we hear that we bear responsibility. And so, God, I pray that we hold all of the matters of your grace in mind as we study what it means to work, that no one is left confused, that we can hold fast to that which was provided through Jesus Christ, and that we would press on into full maturity as your works are made manifest in us. 
God, let, let each one here hear this word, be able to apply this word with your help, the help of your spirit. Lord, that we are drawn closer to the image of Christ. In his precious name we pray, amen. Work is good. There's a real issue with the idea of work today. Um, we often forget the goodness of work, of just good, hard labor sometimes. Now, as we go through this, I don't want to give the perception that I'm against efficiency in the, in the workplace or safe work practices or even automation in industry, anything like that. I've seen a number uh, of instances, though, where there is a genuine desire to avoid work. Just simply avoid it. Um, many of the modern developments in technology that we're seeing now are not providing us with any task that wasn't being accomplished. Or they're not helping us produce things more. They're, um, they're not adding anything to what is being done. They're simply affording our laziness a lot of times. Um, now, please don't hear me say that I think you're lazy if you found a better way to do things around the house. You know, uh, I'm all, all about that, working smart and smart instead of hard. Uh, however the saying goes, if you found something more, more sustainable way of performing your daily tasks, it's, those are all good things. Uh, God is efficient in His work, and so should we be. But I am saying that people have generally grown lazy in our day. Whenever we come to talk about this, and I would love as much of a hobby horse as it is of mine to talk about parenting in the family, um, we can't go there yet because we need to understand how to be diligent. Work was commanded at creation. I've often reminded people that work is not a result of the fall. When Adam created Eden, or when God created Eden and he created Adam, he created him to work, uh, to tend the garden, the, the fruit of the Garden of Eden was not made available to Adam without his tending the ground and even picking the fruit. Um, even the harvest is considered work. We may think that I've, I'm, I'm somehow pulling that out of context, but if you'll remember in Matthew 12, the Pharisees rebuked Christ for allowing the apostles to just pick and eat. They called that work. What well, seemed like just to feed their face because they were in the fields and, and pulling the fruit from the harvest. And so the providence of God 
comes in part through the work he appointed man to do. It's a good thing. Yet, work in the garden was not intended to be toilsome. It was good. So when the curse came, we know uh, without diving too far into that, and we know that Adam and Eve sinned and, and God cursed them and, uh, and said, by the sweat of your brow, you'll eat of that tree every day of your life. It didn't, we weren't cursed with work. We were, it was simply made our work exhausting, hard and difficult. The design of God for man is for man who is in the image of God to work as God works in creation. God worked six days, rested the seventh. Um, so we are made to work. We're in His image. Work in Eden was not devoid of labor. As we said, God worked six, rested the seventh in creation, and He appoints that to man. He gives this to man. He says, so, as man, you will work six and you will rest the seventh day. That's the Sabbath. Again, before the fall, God appointed this at the start of His creation, not in response to sin. So though we say the work in the Garden of Eden was not toilsome, Adam would need rest from his work. So it wasn't as if he's just frolicking through the meadows and things are just coming up to him, you know, like uh, Snow White or something. It involved work. So I do believe this is a human uh, endeavor, a human right, something we were created with. We even mentioned in passing in Sunday school the idea within our founding documents in America, the Constitution, talks about unalienable rights. These are things that God has designed into the life of men. Work is one of them. Wherever you go, you work. It is how we survive. And yet, even among Christians, when we talk about this, and, and most of the time we don't talk about all of our work um, and how often we work, we talk about our rest. And we hear people, I can't tell you how many times I've heard people that refuse to come to church because it's their day. That's their day off. Now, we've talked about a Sabbath a little bit in here. But many even do this. They neglect the Lord's day while claiming to be faithful to honoring God's day of rest. Friends, everywhere I go, I see this great temptation of a meaningless Rest, planting its seed. Within the church, within the world, I think any one of us can see it. Some refuse to work. They rely on what I think is just at the end a godless governmental system to provide 
for them to allow their poor work ethic, especially now. There's no incentive to go to work. That is a godless and sinful thing. There are some in the workplace who care more about their rest in working hours than they do their own work. There are men who return home from work unwilling to do anything else but rest. There are women who place daily rest over the nurture of their children or work in the home. Perhaps there's been some in here who's neglected the study of the word and has rested during the sermon. I got to say it in the scripture. Scripture gives me, gives me leave to do that. I think the general population has become concerned with their leisure six days a week and committed to difficult work only one, if that. So even as the fall came, the command never stopped to work. Work never ceased. We work today. We were actually commanded to work by the sweat of our brow. So then sweating is submitting to God's discipline. I don't know if we've ever thought about that, but whenever we sweat and we toil in our labors, that is a godly thing because we're actually submitting to discipline. You might say, but pastor, hasn't this changed for the Christian? I don't think so. I think that our calling has expanded and grown whenever we think of work. Christian work is a higher calling. It remains true that we work to survive. That's what we do to pay the bills. These creation commands have not been done away with, yet there are some changes. I already mentioned, you know, we've talked about a Christian Sabbath in the past, um, and so let's talk a little bit about this promise of rest. When we think of Sabbath as a rest, the rest of Sabbath wasn't fully realized or enjoyed, uh, most especially after the fall. I mean, the rest that was promised Adam, it was a good thing, even before the fall. God had designed, had called Adam to a Sabbath rest. It was something he left in place for Adam after they had fallen in sin. It was the rest that the people of Israel were promised uh, in this land of Canaan. Here we are in Deuteronomy. They're going to enter into the promised land. It's a Sabbath rest that they were being promised. Uh, picking harvests that they did not plant. And Sabbath rest is the promise of Christ to all who believe in him. I'm going to argue these aren't separate promises, but they're one promise. And for that, I would take you to Hebrews chapter 4, verses 8 through 11. For if Jesus had given them rest, then would he not afterward have spoken of another day? 
There remaineth therefore a rest to the people of God, for he that is entered into his rest, he also hath ceased from his own works, as God did from his. Let us labor, therefore, to enter into that rest, lest any man fall after the same example of unbelief. Now, just as a brief excursus for this passage, and maybe some of those who are carrying a different translation, when we read Jesus, it's the Greek form, Jesus, uh, it's the Greek name for the Hebrew name Yeshua. It's one and the same with Joshua. What becomes clear is that this text is referencing these Old Testament promises and most likely even an Old Testament writer that didn't see the fulfillment of the Sabbath rest until Christ. So what's striking also in this passage is that our work seems to have stopped in this passage. Or has it? The Christian's given rest from endless works that always fall short of salvation. They never achieve rest in Christ, rest with God. They never achieve this. In essence, Adam never reached his first Sabbath in the essence that God had designed it. Christ has accomplished this apart from their works, so the Christian enters an endless rest. So I think the Christian can say, we no longer need rest from our work, but that we receive rest in the work of Christ to which we have been invited to participate. Our rest is in Christ. Our labors aren't toilsome. They're not endless for salvation. Our survival has been made sure in Christ, an eternal survival. This is why the writer says, let us labor to enter that rest. It's not as if all work has been done away with in Christ. Let us labor to enter that rest. So the Christian works diligently, faithfully, and joyfully in all that God commands, even submitting to the discipline of sweating from our brow. We could think of any example here. There's a wide array of them uh, where faith rests and faith works in Christ. We could survey some of the, the lives of those great saints in Hebrews 11 who are the most faithful give us these examples of faith and if you're honest and you recognize it was not apart from labor and difficulty and work in Abraham or, 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 or Samson or any one of these we would never say that any one of them had it easy we could read the whole book of James that establishes this balance of working and resting in Christ which we've been through together as a church last year. Ultimately, what we're talking about is the doctrine of vocation, of work, which comes from the Latin word for calling. It's our calling. God has called us to work. 
But what does this look like? I want to be faithful to the passage here. Because we are to be diligent. And I think we can carry this on as we talk later about teaching uh, and directly with our children in our homes and households. Um, but I think it carries through just as we are to teach them in our house and along the way when we lie down and rise up. I think we're to be diligent. This diligence continues in all that we do. So I'm just going to look at each one of those one by one. Now... We'll discuss the implications for parenting later, but for now, let us see uh, the diligence that we must know uh, before we count the cost of laboring in God's rest. Now, whenever this passage says this, uh, teach these things diligently, it gives a spectrum of scenarios. And I think what we can see there is, is here, there, and everything in between. Be diligent, teach these things diligently when you sit in your house and as you walk along the way. There's not much else in between. Anything inside your home, anything outside your home. You need to be diligent. So this is all going to serve us hopefully really well uh, as an introduction for next week. So we're not going to exhaust the subject. I can't talk about everywhere that you go outside of your home. Um, but we are going to take these... Um, separately and try to give us an idea that we can think through. So let's consider how we might be diligent teachers in our homes. Working to teach the Word of God in our homes does not mean when we're diligent in our homes or thinking of our children and families, it's not going to mean supporting your child in everything or in all of their hobbies or keeping them busy that they stay out of trouble. Um... It doesn't mean listening to Christian radio, buying a Christian school curriculum, or making sure you and your children are at church every time the doors are open. Being diligent, I think the diligence that's prescribed for us in this text doesn't come by outsourcing to commercial resources. It means you are going to have to invest the time and the effort in the, in, in the teaching. You're going to have to be fully invested in this personally. You need to love your household. Disciple them always in all that you do together. And Christian, if you find little time to do this, if you come to this text and say, look, you know, I... You know, I can't be diligent in this way. If you feel that you cannot be diligent in the household, consider pulling your kid out of sports. Consider giving up a hobby. Consider taking a different job or allowing your wife to stay home. To... Be with your children. For us, we homeschool. Uh, recommit to family worship every night. Do something different. God's word says be diligent in your household. It is hard work. It does require Diligence. It is not for the faint 
of heart, but it has eternal rewards when you see God bless and expand your ministry in your own home. When you see Christ draw your children to service in His kingdom. As parents, we often push our children to excel in sports or to to work hard and a work ethic and everything else, but how often do we push them and encourage them and train them for ministry and missions? This is one of those things as we talked about this young missionary lady soon to be. What a proud moment for her parents. Sure, there's fear or anxiety maybe in that, but they should feel fulfilled and that perhaps God has rewarded a level of diligence in their home. Men, your home is your first ministry. It's the qualification for pastors that they rule their household well. If I fail in diligence in this area, we haven't even got to the other ones, but if I fail to be diligent in my home, I need to resign this post according to Scripture. As I've said before, I shared this week and said last Sunday night in our study, men excel at everything. We excel at our hobbies. We excel in the workplace, on the battlefield. We excel to reach our goals. The only reason that we're not the spiritual leaders of our homes is because we don't prioritize it. Perhaps there's some reason the home is mentioned first in this list. As we go through, perhaps Joshua starts with the home for a reason. It's only natural. It's only fitting that we succeed at home first. Next he says, be diligent. Teach these things diligently when you sit in your household and then as you walk along the way. Kingdom focus does not stop at the front door. This faith is real, this God is sovereign, and this word is true. Do you have gospel conversations with your extended family? When was the last time your children saw you present the gospel to a stranger? Have you shared Christ with your coworkers? Or maybe it was dangerous for you to share Christ in your workplace. Maybe that was a risk to your job or to your livelihood. Well, welcome to the mission field. It's no excuse. Working to teach involves everywhere that we go. Many here struggle to be faithful even by ourselves. How can we then begin to speak of teaching these things to our children as we walk along the way? Parents, it requires your time. I can't make these decisions for you, but I've heard too many times, and we, we can't, as Christians, we cannot be guilty of saying this, 
uh, I wish I could afford to blank. Or I wish I had time to blank. Be faithful. Be diligent. How can you afford not to educate your child in the Lord and have family worship time each night? How can, what, what is more important than discipling these closest to you? As a matter of fact, if you're not discipling those that are under your roof all day, every day, don't flatter yourself into thinking that you're going to be helpful or useful outside of your home, church, or community. You've got wonderful opportunities to do outreach and share the gospel. If you're neglecting your own family, well, what use are you going to be at the Sargon Festival or at Basswood when we go to share the gospel? Share the gospel with those close to you. Joshua turns away from the locale of teaching toward the times for teaching. We're to be diligent when you lie down and when you rise up. This is another spectrum. It's everything in between. When you lie down, when you rise up. Uh, so pretty much, Joshua is not as concerned with you being diligent while you're sleeping. Everything else requires your diligence. Thank goodness for that. Uh, yeah, we don't want to hear we don't want to hear our sleep talking. It may be a reason that we would be cautious with men like Edward Casey, the sleeping prophet. I don't know what to say how he fits into this passage at all, but um, Nevertheless, it's good to finish our day with sound teaching and worship. This does not mean that our time of prayer is spent sleepily, unengaged. C.S. Lewis approaches this in his novel, The Screwtape Letters. And uh, essentially, it's a demon who, in this book, is it's a demon who's not concerned. He's assigned to a human. He, He's not concerned with a Christian who says his prayers uh, while laying in bed comfortably, tucked in with his head on the pillow. That's no real threat, he says. Just don't let him hit his knees. That's what his uncle uh, prescribes to him. The matter of this point is start to finish. We're diligent when we lie down. What's interesting in this text is that the last of the day comes first. He doesn't say when you, ri when you get up in the morning to when you lie down. He says when you lie down and when you rise up. The Word gives us promise of the end. You can make note of these if you're taking notes. Ecclesiastes 7.8 Better is the end of a thing than its beginning. 
Isaiah 40, 31 says of the people of God, they shall, not, they shall run and not grow weary. Philippians 1, 8, Paul says, being confident, the one who started a work in you will bring it to completion. Paul tells Timothy, he has finished the race set before him in 2 Timothy 4, 7, and we're exhorted in Hebrews 12, 1 and 2, let us run with patience the race that is set before us, looking unto Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith. Now in any race, foot race or horse race, it is, the, it is not the one who leads in the beginning, but the one who leads at the end that wins the race. And so our diligence must continue to the end. And we're diligent also when you rise up. Finishing well assumes that you've entered the race, that you're present, that you're part of this, that you have started. You're off the finish line. Let us be faithful as Christians to begin every day of our lives with God's Word. We should rise early with the glorious redemption of Jesus Christ on our minds. As we come to appreciate our existence and salvation, it's coming through Him and for Him. We'll demonstrate a better understanding of the world and we'll become more diligent from the very start of our day. Psalm 1 says, The righteous man delights in the law of the Lord. On his law he doth meditate day and night. How many times have you woke up rushed out the door to work or an appointment or something else? Maybe you were overwhelmed with the day's to-do list before taking in God's Word in the mornings. How have some of us trained ourselves to check our phones or Facebook or the news as soon as we get up before we consult God's Word? We've got to change this. As the church, we must begin and end with the Word of God, remembering Christ is indeed the author and the finisher of our faith. And so with all of the texts that we've mentioned, it's a joy to teach diligently the Word of God to work hard, to set our hands. There's no more worthy a plow to set our hands to than this Word of God. Than the righteous works of Christ made manifest in us. Church, I want to draw us to that level of faithfulness Draw men to that level of faithfulness. Draw the church to that level of accountability. It's what I hope comes out of our Sunday night study. I hope you involve yourself with that so that we can help, help you learn because, brothers and sisters, it is a diligent work. It is difficult. You will pull your hair out some days, which is why we need these exhortations. Be diligent.
And I want to encourage you, each one here, if you are a child of God, if you believe in Him, you are one of the chosen people of the redeemed. You have helped to do this. You have been equipped to love your family. You don't. You you are not one who looks at your children and and, and doesn't have hope. You're one who has been equipped, has been given God's word, who has been shown grace and redemption in your own life, and you can recognize this in the life of your own children. You can love them well. And so there is never a point. There is no one who should leave here if you are born again. There's no one who should leave here and say, I'm crushed. I lack this diligence or I'm crushed. I have failed here as we all have. Take heart. Cling to this word of God as Israel comes and is literally being redeemed and being granted these prom- this promised land and the promise of rest. And they're given this help and they're given this exhortation. Be diligent. And thankfully, even when we're not, God has sent Christ. And so I do pray that you come to value work. That we shepherd our children at work. That they see us working. And and more importantly, that they see us working on heavenly things. That we seek first the kingdom of God. And let these other things be added to us. As Matthew 5 says. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we come to you. We ask that you do equip us. Father, none of us here are those who are yearning to work unto salvation. Lord, you've done that already. Lord, I pray that you help us to rely upon the full and finished work of Jesus Christ as we consider now how you will begin to work in us. Father, even as we think of works just to please you, works just because we desire obedience and you equip us with your spirit to help us in this matter, as you sanctify us and bring us into the image of Jesus Christ. God, we pray for your help. Lord, that you remind us of, of, of your redemption, that you remind us of the assurance that we can have in Christ. That you remind us of the glory of the redemption that you provide, that we never stop to preach Christ to our children. Father, that you call to our children. Call them to yourself that they would know you and grow in full maturity of the faith and learn this diligence also. God, we need your help. Father, we rely on what it is you've done already on our behalf. And yet, Lord, we desire 
We desire good works. We desire to see you change the lives of the wretches that we were to the saints that we have become. God, that you rid us of the old man and help us to apply the new. Lord, we pray that you go with us. Do you help us to be faithful, to bring you glory, and to preach the hope and the redemption and the rest that comes only in Jesus Christ? We ask this in his precious name. Amen. Thank you for listening to New Life Baptist Preaching, where we grow in discipleship, grow in relationships, and grow in Jesus Christ. Subscribe so you don't miss a single Sunday.